Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 I invite you to be seated. Get a chance to pretend I'm back in Africa again because every time I spoke I had to hold a microphone like this um, because I couldn't get the lavalier mic to work. And I don't mind going out there, but I like to be down here, so I'm going to make this work. Um, It's Lent. Did you know this? Man, four days in, I'm ready to be done, aren't you? (laughs) Wow. Just not my favorite, it's not my favorite season of the year, I'll just admit it. I just, I'm not a Lent guy. I'm an Easter guy. Let's bring some Easter on. But Lent exists because Easter exists. That's why Lent exists. It's really designed to get us ready for Easter. And originally, it wasn't designed for everyone. It was designed for people getting baptized. And so the idea was you go into Lent and you prepare for your baptism. So in a sense... What Lent is about is a a return to our own baptism and the meaning of it and the reality of it. Not just the sign we experienced, but the commitment to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, the commitment to surrender to him as Lord, the commitment to follow him as a disciple, all that our baptism means, and to enter back into that and renew that reality at Easter. So that's what we're going to do during Lent this year. And to do that, we're going to have a singular focus during our Lenten season, in our, in our preaching, and some podcasting is going to happen. We're going to focus on the Bible. Lent 2020 at St. Pat's is about the Bible. And we're going to talk about learning how or growing deeper into engaging the Word of God. And take that one spiritual practice, that central practice of formation, time in God's Word, lift it up, look at different texts about it, and then hopefully... Equip all of us, if you don't already have that practice to build that into your life, if you did have that practice once but don't have it now to build it back, or just keep on, or maybe go deeper. And we're going to start today by looking at Jesus in the wilderness. Now, wilderness is probably the main theme of Lent. That's why Lent 1 every year starts with the story of Jesus and his temptation in the wilderness. And there are a lot of angles you can look at to get into the story. But tonight, I want to look at how Jesus relates to the Word of God. Because the story can't be told if you don't get that. It's so plainly there. It's so important to see. We're disciples of Jesus, so we want to mimic our Master and learn from Him. But to get into that, let me go to the end of Matthew. The very end of Matthew is what's called the Great Commission, or my my good friend John Schuler calls the Final Command. I kind of like that. Sounds like an 80s hard rock song, final command. But um, the final command, the great commission, Jesus has the disciples gathered and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and, and this is the command, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching or training them to obey all my commands. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. So I think you can take that text. I can explain to you all of Christian discipleship in that text, all that it means. It's all right there. And the central thing is this. A disciple of Jesus is someone who's made it their life intention to completely obey Jesus, to obey all of his commands through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what a disciple is. 
If that's not my intention, I'm not living as a disciple. Or any moment I shrink from that intention, I'm shrinking from discipleship. But that's what a disciple is. But it begs a question. What are his commands? And where do I go to find them? This is where you go to find the commands of Jesus. And what's important to grasp is that it isn't just the red letters, if you have a red letter Bible, that are the commands of Jesus. It's not just the Gospels. It's not just the writings of the Apostles later on. It's not even just the Old Testament. It's all of it. Because the whole book, the whole book is a revelation of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. In our, in our vacation class, we look at Genesis 3 and the promise of the snake being crushed and the seed that would come. Jesus is already in the story right at the beginning. From beginning to end, it's all about Jesus. And so how do I know what Jesus wants? I've got to hear from him. And this is where we go to hear from him. So you can't be a disciple if you're not about the word of God. In fact, in John 8, Jesus said, he said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Then you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Notice what he says. If you want to truly be my disciple, you have to continue in my word. I think that means two things. It certainly means obey it, but you simply can't obey it if you don't know it first. You can't bypass living in it if you want to follow it. And Jesus makes that one of his very marks. There's about eight places in the New Testament where Jesus says, either you have to do this to be my disciple, or if you don't do this, you're not my disciple. Just a few key places. That's one of them. And he makes word central to it all. You can't be a disciple of Jesus and make your life intention to obey all of Christ's commands if you bypass God's word. So we're called to be disciples, and our baptismal covenant calls us to be disciples. And if you took it seriously, you're intending to be a disciple. So we're going to learn some more about being disciples by learning more about this book and remembering why we're called to give our life for it. So let's look at this story, this story of Jesus in the wilderness. So there are a couple things I want to draw out in terms of how Jesus relates to the word of God in the story. And the first thing I want us to notice is the most kind of so obvious thing that you might miss it. It's this. He knows his Bible. I mean, he knows his Bible. He's, he's steeped in it like tea is steeped in water to make a great pot of tea. The longer you steep the water, the darker the tea is. And I like dark English breakfast tea myself. Lots of cream and sugar. You steep it. Jesus is steeped in the Bible. He's so steep that when he's confronted by the devil himself, what comes out is Bible. Now, he's the son of God. He could have just said, hey, I'm the son of God. Go. Right? I mean, I think he had that authority. Maybe I'm wrong about this. But he came and lived as man to redeem humanity. And so he lived his relationship to the Father as a human being perfectly obedient. So he had to confront the devil the way any one of us would do it. So he doesn't just rely on his own personal authority. Not the beginning, at least. Towards the end, he does. But he goes to the authority he's under. God's word. And he's just steeped in God's word. In his day and time, Jesus probably, by the time he was 13, had the first five, of the book, five books of the Bible memorized. And large chunks of the prophets memorized. It's just a norm in their culture. The schooling did that for young 
people. So, he knows his Bible. Therefore, disciples need to know their Bible. Second, his authority is the Bible. He actually is putting himself under authority of the Father. And functionally, that means he puts himself under the authority of the content of the Bible. That's what he's doing. So Satan comes at him, gives him a temptation. He confronts him with Scripture to counter the temptation. And he's so much under his authority, he actually knows it so well, that in the second temptation, first, what does Satan do? Did you catch it? He quotes Scripture to Jesus. He quotes Scripture to Jesus. And Jesus basically, without saying it, just clearly communicates Devil, you took it out of context. That's bad exegesis. That's bad interpretation. Let me tell you what this text really means. And he corrected him with the word of God because he was so steeped in the word of God. But, but back to my point. He was under the authority of the word of God. So he was only going to order his life under what God's word told him. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he was steeped in the word. He knew his Bible. That means he paid the price and gave time to know his Bible. Second, he was under its authority. So this is really critical. There's a, there's a story that I, I often, I've probably told before, about Billy Graham. And he, early in his ministry, came to a place where he confronted sort of modernist theology that questioned the inspiration and authority of the scriptures. And he, he kind of wrestled through all the intellectual questions, went back and forth, did some deep diving. But there came a point where he just said, Lord, I don't have all the answers, but I just make a commitment to surrender to you by surrendering to the scripture. And for him, from that point on, the question was settled. It didn't mean he didn't have questions about how to interpret the Bible, but in his heart, he'd settled that this is his authority. And it's from that point that his ministry was anointed and took off. There's a lesson there for disciples. You just will never be a stable, mature follower of Jesus if you don't settle once and for all if this book from cover to cover is authority, even the parts you don't like. There's just no way. It won't work. What will happen is you're putting yourself in the place of authority. You're putting yourself in the driver's seat, not Jesus, not the Father. If you functionally want to serve the Lord and be under his authority, you have to be under the authority of this book. That doesn't mean you don't try to interpret it rightly. It doesn't mean there aren't confusing passages. But your heart attitude is to give this the benefit of the doubt, not your reasoning. It's critical. It's a heart issue. It's an act of submission. And without it, this book won't do its work in your life. If this isn't what to do of faith that leads you to submitting to it, you just won't see its power unleashed in your life. That's how the Bible works. So, Jesus knew his Bible. Jesus was committed to its authority. Jesus depended. He depended on the word of God. Think about the situation. It said he'd been in the wilderness 40 days and nights fasting, then he became hungry. Now, I don't... Explain that to me someday, Jesus, please how you were not hungry for the first 40 days. Maybe it's just that he, he became hungry again. I don't know how to, you know, we'll, we'll ask him. He can clarify that for us. That'll be awesome Bible study in heaven someday. 
But until then, we found out he's, he's hungry. 48, he's, he's, he's famished. He's just famished. In the first temptation, Jesus turned the rocks into bread. You know you can do it. Come on, you're hungry. Doesn't it look good? Can't you smell that steamy, yeasty smell from that yoke, that, that loaf breaking open, Jesus? And you have the power and authority to do it. Just, just go ahead. Just do it. He depended on the Father in that moment by depending on the Scriptures because he came back with the Word of God. That's where he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus fed on the Word, depended on the Word, and saw the word not as just something to let him have information in his mind about what to believe and what to do, but actually a source, a source of spiritual sustenance and a source of spiritual strength. Disciples are apprentices of Jesus. If we're going to follow the king, we need to be like the king. And so we have to know the book. We have to know the Bible. We have to come under his authority. And we have to learn to depend on the word of God and trust it to do its work in us. It takes that attitude to be committed to the regular practice of reading your scripture because you probably won't do it if you just think of it in terms of, I want to get my Bible read. I did that once. Got it. Done. It's cool. Or, you know, I hear it a couple times a week, but if you see it as bread, and remember, in that culture, bread was the staple. If you have bread, you live. You don't have bread, you die. That's how that worked. Jesus is saying God's word is like that. So if you want to be a well-fed, strengthened, enlivened disciple, you've got to give yourself to God's word, like Jesus did in this text. It's another thing. This is really obvious. In fact, it's so obvious that most of the time you can just gloss right over it. And it's this. Jesus memorized the Bible. I don't think he had scrolls with him that he rolled out. He memorized the Bible. Lots of it. I don't know if you've ever done that practice, but I've done it off and on in my spiritual journey. Actually, I've committed this Lent to reintroduce it in my life. It's one of my practices I'm doing. One of the most powerful things you can do for spiritual formation is to memorize Scripture. In fact, the king of spiritual formation, Dallas Willard, he says that. Right, Kimberly? Yes, she loves, she loves Dallas Willard. So if Kimberly says he said it, I'm right. I quoted that right. No, I, I'm, it is true. Here's why. Because what it does is it gets into your psyche. It gets into your thought process. It's how you renew your mind, a la Romans 12, 1 and 2, around Scripture. And what happens is those truths become embedded and they become things that, that you can walk under in your daily walk. The enemy comes at you and tempts you to lie. But you have the Ten Commandments memorized. Nope, you shall not bear false witness. You can counter the lie and obey Jesus. It becomes grist for the Holy Spirit to produce life in you. Give other examples. But Jesus was able to win this battle with the enemy because he knew the Bible he was under its authority, he depended on it, and he even memorized it. I don't know if you memorized the whole thing. Maybe you did. 
But I just want to tell you that this week I'm going to do a podcast and explain how you can memorize scripture. And people often say to me, well, I can't memorize stuff. And I say, hogwash. You all memorize stuff all the time. I lived, when I was five years old, at 316 East Lincoln Way, Ames, Iowa, 50010. My phone number is 515-232-6562. I haven't dialed that number for 40 years, and I remember it because I used it over and over and over, and it's in my long-term memory. We all memorize stuff all the time. So I'm not going to do that in a sermon and teach out either, but I'm going to give you a, a podcast and how you can build that practice in your life. And think about this. If you had a practice of just memorizing one verse a week, in a year, you'd memorize 52 verses. That's almost like the whole book of Ephesians. You could probably memorize that whole book in a year, or half of it, just by doing one verse a week. Wouldn't that be awesome? And think about 10 years down the road, just a regular practice, and what that would be like to have the Word of God that embedded in your life. Well, Jesus is our living example. He said a disciple is always like his master. So if we aim to be disciples of Jesus, and apprentices of Jesus. An apprentice, you know, is not just someone who hears information, puts into practice. They, they watch a master and mimic a master to learn what the master does. That's what an apprentice does. That's what a disciple is. So we learn that from Jesus. And he teaches us in this passage the centrality of the word in his life. I'm going to close in a minute. I'm going to ask Laura Carr to come up. You ready? Okay, good. And... Um, I'm going to ask folks to share testimony during Lent as we're kind of thinking about the scriptures. And she agreed, per my, you know, pressuring her, to uh, come up and just share a word about your experience of having the word in your life. So take it away. Thank you. I brought notes, so don't mind my crutch here. Um, okay, so um, Pete asked me to share about um, kind of how I do time just kind of a daily practice of reading the word and about five years ago I think it was actually in our beginners class for St. Pat's um, Pete had shared about an app that he used at the time uh, the ESV app uh, English Standard Version and um, and I thought oh that could be helpful because I, I really need structure and so I thought this would give me some structure for my daily reading and so um, I also decided that I wanted to try to do um, a morning prayer time or a quiet time with the Lord, both reading the Bible and praying. I'm not naturally a morning person. I never have been. And so for me to get up any time before I absolutely need to get up is a, a bit of a stretch. So it's been a work in progress, and there are days where I still sleep through it. But, um, but for the most part, what it looks like is I try to go through the app and just do the daily office uh, scripture readings. And so um, that's really formed me in a lot of ways. And I just wanted to share just a few quick ways um, that that's had an impact on my life. So um, one thing is I will uh, sometimes encounter a passage that it's like God is speaking directly to a situation that I'm right in the middle of, that I'm really struggling with, um, or a condition of my heart, or just something that's really going on inside of me, and it's like it's screaming at me. <laughs> like God knew I needed to hear it that day, and He really wanted to meet me in that moment and give me His word from for whatever it is in my life. Sometimes it's an encouraging thing, sometimes it's an exhortation, sometimes it's. Um, 
it's just something that I, I just really need to, to latch on to and hold on to to get through that day. And so that is not an everyday occurrence, but that does happen quite a bit. Um, and it, particularly when I approach that time in the word prayerfully and really expectantly hoping that I'll hear from the Lord. Um, but more often than not, what I've found is that my time in scripture, it's the, it's the daily consistency that over time shapes um, kind of my view and um, helps me. And it's done that in a few ways. Um, one thing is that, um, you know, the reading for the day ten, starts in the Psalms. And so reading through the Psalms every morning, um, it really helps me to focus on the beauty of God and his creation and what that reveals about him. It focuses on his majesty and his strength and how he is sovereign over all kingdoms and over all kings. And so whereas I used to listen to NPR when I woke up in the morning and I would get really stressed out and angry about situations in the world, um, this actually like puts my mind in a perspective where I, I don't have to worry so much about the big things in life, but also just the little anxieties of life. And that really helps me. Um, and so if I can just stay away from Facebook in the morning, then I'll probably be <laughs> much better. Um, but then the uh, Old Testament readings um, recently have really been speaking to me because um, I'm just reminded that this, the God that I am praying to and the God that I serve is the same God who is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's God. And he's the same God then, and he's the same God now. And so when you see how he has delivered his people over and over and over and put up with their awfulness over and over and over, like I just know that his grace for me is huge and that I can trust him when things get really tough in my day. Um, or I feel like my problem is so overwhelming that I'm just feeling crushed by it then I can think about how he has delivered these Old Testament people of his. And so that really helps me, and I cling to that a lot, and it leads me into that kind of prayer as well. And then um, probably the biggest way that the, um, the scriptures have shaped me, though, is because in encountering God in the scripture every day, it really, and Jesus in particular, but you know, really the whole story of scripture, it really reveals... God's heart and his character and his perfect love and his perfect justice and his perfect strength and who he is. And so a lot of times when temptation comes during the day, um, because I'm steeped, and I was thinking of that word this morning, like being steeped in scripture, because you're, when you're steeped in who God is in his character, then when the lies come, well, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. He, doesn't, he, does, he's, he can't handle this. He's too busy doing other things. This problem is too small for him. Um, you know, it really, you can fight that because you know God is loving and that he does his, he perfectly cares about you. And so, you know, especially Jesus, you know, by looking at Jesus who just fully reveals who God is in his heart for us, I'm really able to fight those lies and those, whether they're lies I'm telling myself or lies that the enemy is telling me. And so that's really helped me. And it's helped me as I talk with friends and loved ones as well um, to try to fight those lies. 
So that's just a few ways that um, being in the Word every day has shaped me. And I encourage you, if you, if you aren't or if you're trying to get more into that in Lent, um, it, really, it, it really just does this work inside. It's hard to describe, but I encourage you to get into it. Thanks. Just one quick word before we pray. So throughout Lent, as, as we do these sermons, also each week I plan to do a podcast, about a 10 to 15 minute teaching that's practical kind of how-to stuff. So if you need some, some just encouragement to re-engage in the practice of the word, hopefully you'll find those helpful. And I'll talk more about, um, as we move through Lent, how to access those. And if you go to our church website, actually on the front page, you can access all of our podcasts. So let's stand and pray. And then Deacon Andy lead us in the creed. Father, you've given us all scripture that we might be formed into the image of Jesus. And as Archbishop Cramner wrote, help us to read, mark, and inwardly digest your word, that it might be the source for our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Together, let us profess our faith in the words of the night. We believe in one God.